uh, glad that he was able to get out and spend some time with his family and uh, be able to, uh, re as Erica said earlier, just refresh and rejuvenate and be able to come back. So um, I have the honor and privilege to be able to speak to you today. Um, I know most of you, but there are some I don't know. Uh, my name is Jeremy Roberts. I and my wife, Becky, who is sitting right up here, are the leaders of Quest Youth Group, which is our student ministry, grades 7 through 12, and we've been doing that for an awful long time. So that's why we're here. And over the last year, I've become a utility man. Um, <laughs> I've just fallen into where God's had me fall. And um, one of those places is here today to be able to give you the message. So um, thank you for being here and thank you for sharing with us. Um, but I want to go back to last weekend because I don't think, you know, as we talk about, you know, we go from Christmas and we, we think about it a little bit and our decorations stay up, but then we go to Easter and we hit it and then it sort of disappears. But we really need to think about what happened last week because it was really important. You know, what happened in here was unbelievable. And I'm going to show you, you know, how unbelievable it is. Some of you guys were here, some of you weren't here. That's fine. Some of you were basking in Florida in the sun. Good for you. That's great. But God had the victory and still does but what took place in here was awesome, you know. But it wouldn't have been successful without all of our parking lot ministers last week and all our greeters who served and all of our ushers who served. You know, we had a goal last week of not to have anybody besides a head usher, greeter, or, or parking lot member have to serve twice. And we accomplished it because we wanted everybody to be able to enjoy Resurrection Day. So thank you for everybody who stepped up if it was your part or it wasn't your part and you filled in. Thank you so much. Absolutely. It takes a big team to be able to do these things. You know, thank you to the Res Kids and Miss Lynn for putting on their, their special for Easter and John for taping it and putting it together because it was absolutely awesome. Thank you to the Quest students, you know, who got a little bit uncomfortable and stand in front of a camera. There is nothing easy about a teenager standing in front of a camera. It's, it's not. But they did it. And they did it not for their own benefit, but they did it, did it for the benefit of all. So thank you so much for being obedient. You know, last Sunday, we had more people in the sanctuary than we've had since we've opened back up. That's great. You know, obviously things are changing. We had over 120 people in here between both services. That's unbelievable. We had another 50 people who've watched our service since last Sunday on YouTube. And at times last weekend, there was a, between 30 and 20 and 30 people streaming online. So our resurrection service, due to what everybody was able to help us accomplish, uh, impacted lots and lots of people. But it's just not those numbers that I shared with you, because hopefully the people who heard it went and shared it with somebody else. Because God multiplies, right? So we've got that opportunity. So again, thank you so much for everybody who was part of resurrection service last week. It was very successful, and it couldn't have been done without you. But today what I'm going to share with you is a, a message, and it's going to be titled, Not My Will. Um, as I start today, I want you to think about some of the most dangerous, risky things you've done in your life. All right, I know for myself that when I served in the Marine Corps, I had to do lots of dangerous, risky things. I was never in combat, I will proclaim that, but I was always ready for combat, okay? Um, whether it be, um, you know, John's going to show some pictures here, whether it be rappelling out of a helicopter fast roping out of a helicopter, or spy rigging under a helicopter, it's all dangerous in some sort of fashion. All right, really the most safe thing that is there is a rappel. Because you're at least tied in, you got something that's going on. All right, the spy rig, you're hooked into a harness, and when the helicopter goes up, you go up with it. You really have no control. And where it flies, you go. The most dangerous thing there is, believe it or not, is the fast rope. And it looks like it'd be the safest because you're the closest to the ground. But that one, the only thing that's holding you the rope is your hands and your feet. So when you've got a 50-pound pack on and your weapon and everything else, and you're on a helicopter that's going like this, and a boat's going like this at the same time, if the boat's low and the helicopter's high, the rope doesn't hit the ground anymore. So it can become just a little bit dangerous. Okay? So that's a little bit of what I got to experience. But this week, I had the opportunity to go on vacation with my children. We got away for a couple days, and we went to a water park. And at this water park, there is this ride called the Screaming Hyena. All right? 
you walk into this cylinder, all right, and you stand there, and your feet are there, they're crossed, and you put your hands behind your back, and then all of a sudden it goes three, two, one, and the floor drops out. You've got no control. It's scary. But once you've done it, you go do it again for some crazy reason. <laughs> but what I'm trying to show you is, is we've got scary things in our lives. You know, another scary, now maybe you can't relate to the Marine Corps experience, or maybe you can't relate to the screaming hyena experience, but uh, most of you in here can relate, or some of you will soon be able to relate to the scariness of having your first child. <laughs> All right, I remember when Elena came home, and I can picture it in my head, we're strolling her, because that's what you're supposed to do as a new parent, up our sidewalk, and we get her, and we walk inside the house, and we, Becky and I look at each other, and we go, what do we do now? It's something we had never experienced. It's something we didn't know what was going to go on. It was a little bit scary, for sure. And hopefully it didn't get too dangerous. Right? But that's what happens in our life. We're faced with dangerous and scary situations all the time. But what we choose to do with them is where we can prevail. So again, in these scary situations that I explained, there's a few things that I had to my advantage. In all the helicopter exercises, I had seen somebody do it before, or I had practiced rigging it myself on land, so I knew what I was in for. For the screaming hyena, I actually went and we previewed it on YouTube. I'm like, I want to see what this thing's like, right? So I had a little bit of prior knowledge. And then when I got to the top, I watched a couple people do it before I did it, okay? So... We get as much knowledge as we can get before we jump into a lot of things. All right, but where I want to take us today is I want to take us back to the garden. Right before Jesus was betrayed by Judas, and we're going to look at some scripture there. All right, what's cool about this, in my opinion, is this story, or, or the, this, this part of history, is, is recorded in all four Gospels. And it's done a little bit differently, and you get a different perspective by looking at each of them, but we're going to look at it today. Okay, so the first thing we're going to look at is Luke twenty-two, forty-two. All right, it says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Now we're going to look at this scripture in context, and we're going to jump into it in the book of Matthew. All right, this is Matthew 26, verses 36 through 40. I'm going to read it all, and then we're going to jump back into it. Obviously, my highlighted portions are the important parts that we're going to get at, but I think you've got to frame this picture pretty well. All right? So then it says, Then Jesus, with his followers, to a went, to a went with his followers to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, Sit here while I go there and pray. He told Peter and his two sons of Zebedee to come with him. Then he began, a very, began to be very sad and troubled. Jesus said to Peter and the two sons, My heart is so heavy with grief, I feel as if I'm dying. Wait here and stay awake with me. Then Jesus went a little further away from them. He fell on the ground and prayed, Father, if it is possible, do not make me drink from this cup, but do what you want, not what I want. Then he went back to his followers and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Can you men not stay awake with me for one hour? Go on, John. Stay awake and pray for strength against temptation. Your spirit wants to do what is right, but your body is weak. Then Jesus went away for a second time and prayed, My Father, if I must do this, it is not possible for me to escape. Then I pray that what you want will be done. Then he went back to his followers, and again he found them sleeping. They could not stay awake, so he left them and went away one more time and prayed. This third time he prayed, he said the same thing. Then Jesus went back to his followers and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? The time has now come for the Son of Man to be handed over to the control of the sinful men. Now there's a whole lot there, right? And as we look at this, we're going to see that the t it says on three different occasions in this, in this passage, it says, Jesus prayed, what you want, do what you want, not what I want. 
Okay, and that's really where we're going to come from today. How dangerous and scary is it to do something you might not necessarily want to do when you don't know what's ahead? Right? Now think about Jesus. He knew what was ahead. Right? And he was in full obedience of what God wanted. But yet still, he has three times. All right? Because he knew. But when he looks at this, he says, not what I want, but what you want. And he did it for one reason. He did it for you. He didn't look at what was going to benefit him. He looked at what was going to benefit us. And that's why he said, not my will, but your will be done. We look at verse 39, we can get a better understanding if we look at it in a different translation. You know, when we look at the, tr the, the um, Passion Translation, when we get down to the blue, it says, yet what I want is not important. How many of us think what we want is the most important thing in the world? Right? And we'll do pretty much anything to get it if we feel it's important. Right? And there's some people who even, if it's that important, they'll break the law to do it. Right? But here we see what I want is not important. I only desire to fulfill your plan for me. Right? Then an angel of heaven appeared and strengthened him. I love this translation because it brings us back to a foundational scripture that most of us are aware of. That God has a plan for us. For each of us. But do we remember all the details and benefits of God's plan? So let's look at Jeremiah 29.11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You know, when we look at this, there's a whole lot here. It says, We must seek him with our whole heart. You know, God's plan says to prosper. Prosper is not really a word that we use all the time. You know, but when we look at the synonyms of prosper, I guarantee it's something that all of us desire. All right? To do well. And I put that even further, to do well in God's eyes, not my eyes. To flourish. To thrive. To benefit. It even says to bear fruit. How much do we know we're doing God's will when we see the fruit of it? You know, I, I look at myself and Becky, and we've been able to, you know, be in quest for many, many years now. And what keeps us going is the fruit that we see. We've been a little bit spoiled, believe it or not. I've been able to see the fruit before my eyes. I haven't had to wait to get to heaven to see it. You know, I see people like Shelby who've come up through youth group, and now she's a ministry leader. You know, I, I have other students who are spread throughout the country who are, are leading church ministry groups, you know. So that fruit's been before our eyes. We've had the opportunity to be in people's weddings and have, see babies that are being up in, in a Christian upbringing. So we've seen that fruit of what we've been able to prepare. But that's something we all want, is we want to be able to prosper. And doing that, we'll be able to see that fruit to know that we're on course. To do wonders. Who wants to do a wonder? Not wonder what you're doing. There's a big difference, right? But if, if God said, you, Jesus said, you will do the things I've done in greater, then we can have an expect, expectation to do wonders. These are all things that many of us desire. And then it goes on to say that not to harm you. Who likes harm? Anybody in here? Going to sign right up? I'm like, if you walk down the aisle, I'm going to harm you. None of us are going to jump at it, Right? But it says, you know, in, in the message, it says, take care of you. In the easy re reader version, it says, not to hurt you. The NLT says, not for disaster. In the JR, if you haven't heard the JR, that's the Jeremy Roberts, says to keep you safe. You know, we got to think about those things. It never says to give you an easy road. Right? We want the easy road. But sometimes, as Erica shared earlier today, it's the trials and tribulations, the trust in God, that gets us to where he wants to be in full maturity of him. 
He said he'll take care of us, but he didn't say it was going to be easy. Okay? That shows me that there's very little risk involved in this, but there are many trials ahead. Okay? So, in my most earthly thinking, the risk-to-reward value here of doing what it says, following the plans that God has for me, there's a benefit in it for me. All right? So why don't we jump in? Why don't we do the plans that he has for us? You know, I look at many of you, and, and I know you, and, and yes, we're walking, and we're walking out the plan that God's for us, but are we walking in every area of our life? And that's where this, you know, we, we get what I call tunnel funnel vision. I'm doing good here, I'm doing good here, I'm doing good here, but where am I out here? And we really need to look at all areas of our life. So when we look at jumping in, you know, we're going to go back to our foundational scripture today, which is going to be Luke twenty-two forty-two. It says, yet not my will, but yours be done. I can tell you, this is the heart of the RLC leadership. There is nothing more, you know, I look at Miss Lynn back there, and there's nothing more that Miss Lynn wants for her students and her family is to have God's will and not her own will. You know, I, I sit with her when she prepares Easter services and Christmas services, and she's like, I don't know what we're going to do. And I do the same thing. I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do. And we just go, all we want to do is what God wants us to do. You know, Pastor Jeff sits here, and all he wants more than anything is to do what God wants for us to do. That's how blessed we are. You know, we're not running some track in the middle of nowhere doing our own thing. We're, we're led and guided by God, and that's the only place we should be. Um, it should be the leading factor for every decision we make. But I, I bet you would be very surprised with the amount of people that I've met with over the years who've come to me to share plans that they've had. It would be college plans, marriage plans, relationship plans, all sorts of other plans. And when I ask them, what has God told you? They say they haven't even prayed about it. That's scary. And more than scary, it's dangerous. You know, many, many times we go to Google as our, as our first resource. We need to go to Goggle. We need to go to Goggle. We need to go to God before we go to anything. And when he gives us the answer, then we can look at everything else. But what happens is we can't get it as fast as we can. Because when you hit that Google button, it says zero point blank, 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 blank seconds. You've got as many results as you want. And if you don't like one of the results, you can go to the next result. Right? I don't like this recipe. I can go to the next recipe. With God, when he gives it to us, he gives it to us. There's no flexing. There's no changing. We need to figure out what we need to do with it. <clears throat> Too often we make decisions based on the benefits for us. We evaluate the risk and the reward. We measure the pros and the cons. But I can tell you this. There is no better place to be than doing God's will. There's no safer place. There's no more place where the benefit will be there for everybody else than doing God's will. But I can also tell you on the reverse side of this, there's no scarier, more dangerous place to be than being out of the will of God. Because I've been there. And I can only thank God that I'm still here today because of the things I did when I wasn't in his will. Okay? So the big question today is, now that we know the benefits of being in God's will and walking out his plan in our lives, why do we struggle with it so much? In my opinion... We struggle with walking out God's plans for our lives many times because we don't know the path. We don't have the complete picture. Or we don't have the ultimate goal. You know, we're very goal-orientated people. You know, very timeline set. It's got to be done this way, this way, this way. Done. Check the box. Move on to the next thing. Well, God's not a... He's a check-the-box God, but not in the, how we want to check the box. Okay. I'm going to use an analogy here, and I just, this, just understand that I am me, and that's who I'm supposed to be. So my brain works in a different way than most of yours. Okay? All right, so I want you to think about this. This is the only way that I could come up with this, all right? I bet that many nights 
when you go to bed, you take your cell phone out and you put it on a charger. Would everybody agree with me? So it's ready for the next day or you do it sometime throughout the day, right? For me, at night it goes on, in the morning it comes off. But how many of us would want our cell phones to charge like this? I plug it in, plug it out, it's done, right? We want that instant, do what I needed to do, do what I needed to do now, right? Especially if we're in a time where we need our cell phone. So the way I am is I sat around a little bit more and I thought about this. Why isn't this possible? And then it came to me, because this is the way my head works. After further review, if we plugged our, our phone in and it gave it all the power and all the energy it needed, think about all the heat that was going to go in that phone, what's going to happen? It's going to explode. And then it's going to be no good or beneficial to us. Right? Everything is going to rush in, and it's going to be overwhelmed with the heat. It's going to be overwhelmed with the energy. It's going to explode, and it's no good to us anymore. I use this analogy to go back to this. We often wonder, when we're walking out God's will, why he doesn't give us the whole plan at one time. You want to know why? Because we're going to explode. There's no doubt about it. It's, it's, it could be too much. It could be overwhelming. It could be extremely scary. All right? I'm going to go even further than this. When Jesus called the disciples, you know, he walked to them and he said, stop what you're doing, follow me. He never sat them down and said, you know, you're going to see Lazarus raised from the dead, and we're going to heal the blind man with mud, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to ultimately hang on the cross and die for you. Follow me. They would have, exactly, they would have took off. They're like, you're a nut job. What he did is he said, follow me. Then little by little, he started to reveal the plan. That's what he does. He wants us to take the first step. And that's what we need to remember. You know, there's a possibility that if God revealed the entire plan to you, you may never step foot down the path he has for you. There are too many of us who are, you know, there aren't too many of us who are jumping for joy if God told us to go sell everything, become a missionary, and move to Iraq. But Becky and I know somebody who did it and is doing it right now. That's not what God's called me to do, but that's what he's called that person and that family to do. We need to think about these things. You know, not everything is going to always be revealed, but we always got to be able to be willing to do as, as he said to the disciples, follow me, which means take that first step. You know, I'm going to use myself and Becky as an example because, you know, I don't like to pick on anybody else. But believe it or not, this summer, Becky and I will be working over in Quest for 20 years. 20 years. And I don't say that for an applause or anything like that. I say that like, wow, that's gone by quick. But I'm going to say this. If God would have shown me 20 years ago that I'd be standing up here talking to you today, I never would have took the first step. I wouldn't have. But I didn't sign up for that. I signed up to talk to some teenagers. And really, a lot of you guys know my story. I didn't sign up to talk to teenagers. I signed up to learn the Bible at a children's level. I'm not lying. I sat out here for weeks, and I couldn't understand what was going on because I was a baby Christian. I didn't know anything. I was hearing all this, and pastor's unbelievable. Believe me, I know that. But I couldn't get it. So I had to go over with Pastor Gabe, and I had to learn at a teenage level. And that's when I fell in love with God. But if God would have said, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to be speaking in front of the church, like, didn't sign up for that. Not at all. But what he's been able to do over these, you know, if he would have showed me 20 years ago, like as I said, that I'd be sharing this message with you, or that I would have suffered the death of Quest members. 
I've lost students. We've lost students over the 20 years. You know, I've stood at funerals with students who've lost their parents. If he would have shown me that, I'd be like, why do you want me to do this? But as I took each step with him along the way, he helped me get through each and one of these every situation. Why? Because we just continued to trust. And we continued to walk. And we continued to listen. And am I doing it perfectly? No way. My kids will be the first one to tell you. <laughs> All right? But we sure as heck try our best with God's help. You know, if, if God would have showed me just in the last year the things that I would have had to do in ministry this year, I wouldn't have ran away. I would have moved away. In no way, shape, form, or manner would I have been like online services, online giving, taping messages, getting specials ready, mask protocol, how are we going to get in the parking lot, all this stuff. God's gifted people with different things and put people in different situations, and I don't know why he's using me. But all I know and all I've been told, and it's the same thing for you, he'll use you if you make yourself available. You know, this, this, this couldn't be and shouldn't be, oh, that's Jeremy, he can do that. No, I can tell you that God can use anybody if we make ourselves available. But often we're afraid to take the first step because we don't know the complete plan. As we looked at Jesus during the challenging times in the garden, we can be reminded that it's not the first time we heard him say these words, not my will, but yours. You know, when we look at Matthew 6, 9 through 10, which should be familiar to us all, which is the Lord's Prayer, you know, it says this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what's cool about this, in my opinion, is this shows that Jesus was not just saying this, he wasn't just a do-as-I-say person. He was a do-as-I-do person. You know, in the garden, we get that example where he, he, he does exactly what he's told. Pray this way. Walk this way. Do God's will. If God's desire for, for him was to have his will done on earth, Jesus walked it out in the garden by being handed over to the guards as the perfect sacrifice for all mankind. How much should we be trying to fulfill God's will and plan for ourselves? Often in quest, you know, I'm asked, how do I know it's God's will? And this is where I'm going to be 100% truthful with you. I can never give you a 100% correct answer on that. But what I can say to this question is we must be led, excuse me, by the Holy Spirit. The inner knowing deep inside of us that unction, that this is that fire that I got, this is that direction I'm being pushed. You know, Pastor Jeff has been teaching us a great series titled Life's Best, Bi or Life's Best Guide and How to Use the Holy Spirit. And two of the teachings in this series were Help Us Know and Help Us Go. What more do we need? If we ask God what we need to know and where we need to go, we're going to be able to fulfill his will. But we can only by do it by being in that communication with the Holy Spirit. If we're praying and seeking the Holy Spirit, we will be guided to do God's will for us and walk out his plan. I'm not saying this plan will be clear and concise. At times, it will be second-by-second second living. This journey, but this is the journey that we must rely on to follow God's direction. But what I've found out is many of us don't walk out God's plan due to the lack of information and the direction to start the journey. We want all our questions answered and the perfect plan in place. That's just the nature of us as being humans. But I ask you this. How much faith does that take? If everything's put out in front of you, how much faith does it take? 
It doesn't take a whole lot. But we can be reminded by 2 Corinthians 5-7, where it says, we, For we walk by faith, not by sight. You know, and when we look at it in the voice translation, it says the path we walk is charted by faith, not by what we see with our eyes. The path, you may be asking yourself, how can we trust God and have faith in his plan moving ahead when everything isn't clear? I tell you, I struggle with this as well. But rather than looking ahead, we can build our faith, the faith which we're going to walk by, by looking at our past. We can look at all the things that God has done for us. All the places that he's shown up. All the favor he's given us. And that makes it a whole lot easier to walk with him down that path because he hasn't let us down. You know, there's a song we sing over in Quest. And it's titled God of the Breakthrough. And you may have, may have heard it. You know, it plays on the radio and stuff. And there's a lyric in it. Um, and the lyric says, you haven't failed us yet. After each time we sing the song, you can ask the leaders, I remind our students that God's will, he'll never fail us. He'll never fail us. He cannot fail us. He won't ever fail us because his plans are perfect and they're the best. As I continued to meditate on the scripture, walk by faith and not by sight, I was brought back to the disciple Thomas, which if you really think about it, it says that eight days later, right? So which is about a week, Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was let out of the tomb, right? He, Mary saw him, said, go to the room. They were in the room, the nine of them. He showed up, right? Thomas wasn't there. All right, so that's where we're at, all right? This is the same Thomas who spent time with the 12 disciples, spent three years with Jesus, saw him perform miracles, heard his teachings, and was even privy to all the information that was let out at the Last Supper. But still, he had trouble believing. So the good news is, we're not alone. Right? Thomas is very much like us, and we're very much like him. You know, John 20, 19 through 20, this is going to be a little bit here. It, it, we're going to go through, look at the context again. It says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind the locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said, as he spoke, and he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Can anybody imagine that? Just think about that. He, just, he didn't even knock on the door. He just came through a wall. Bloop, I'm here. Right? And when they say that they were filled with joy, can we just think about what that, what that joy would be like? Right? When they saw him. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Go on. And then it goes on to say, One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. Dun, dun, dun. Then they, they told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe unless I see the, the nail-wounded hands and put my fingers in them and place my hand in the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and at this time, Thomas was there with them. The doors were locked, and suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them, and he said, Peace be with you, he, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand in my wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told them, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You know, as we look at this again, there's a lot there, but there's a lot we can learn. A few of the things we can learn from this, this is, is one, we have no knowledge of why Thomas was not with the other ten disciples. And I say ten because Judas was already gone, right? We have no knowledge. We can't find it. It's not surely there. Lots of people have speculated, okay? So I wouldn't be correct in saying that Thomas was in the wrong place. 
But what I can say is this, from personal, personal experience, when I'm in the wrong place, I surely miss God. Right? So again, we can't say that's where he was, but for three years he's hung out with these dudes, he's done everything with them, and now all of a sudden he's not with them. What's going on? So surely, if we're in the wrong place, we can surely miss God. The second thing we can learn from Thomas is Thomas had his doubts and uncertainty for sure. He said, I don't believe unless I see the nails, the nail wounds in your hands, and put my fingers in them. Think about this situation for yourself. You know, I'm going to do a Pastor Jeff thing here. Everybody ready? Close your eyes. All right? If I told you you just won $20 million, would you believe me? Now you can open your eyes. What's it going to take you to believe it? You're going to have to put your hands on it. You're going to have to see it. Right? That's what we need to think about. You know, even in our fleshly things, we're not going to believe this thing. Think about it. It, it, it blows my mind. You know, I, I think about this in a different light. You know, if it be, I, I, I won this and I get it, but, you know, somebody can tell me, and you can tell me all you want, but when you show me, it's sort of like, my, I, you know, I can tell my wife I love her, but when I go to wash the dishes, she knows I love her. <laughs> right? <laughs> when it's, I, I do the things I don't want to do, that's when she really knows. Okay? But with that, I'm not going to believe, you know, I, I think about the people in Tabor who won $96 million. You know, they probably looked at, I'm not saying play the lottery, please don't get me wrong here. They probably looked at that and said, like, is this for real? And didn't believe it until they had the check in their hand. Right? We, it's a pinch me moment. But, you know, it's a little different than equating money to life. We're talking about Jesus here. Jesus who died, who was crucified on the cross, laid in the tomb, right? Was told, Thomas was told he was going to rise three days later. The only thing Thomas probably had to be able to relate it to was the raising of the death of Lazarus, right? Right, think, is this really going to be done? The only situation that I can really think of that I can partake of this is when my grandfather died. You know, when my grandfather died, if somebody would have came to me and said, your grandfather's alive, I need some proof. You know, I need to see him physically. I need to hear his French-Canadian accent. I need to put a, my hands around him and give him a hug. That's the proof I needed. So really, we're not a whole lot different than Thomas. And, and I don't want to look at Thomas as being, you know, a, a negligent or doing something wrong. He gives us that relatability in my eyes. You know, but in that relatability, I know that if Thomas does it, I can do it too. You know, so... The third thing that it gives us, you know, it says, if we look at verse 29, which is down there at the bottom, it says, if you believe because you have seen me, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. God, what God really wants is he has a desire for us to believe without seeing and exercising faith. He even says it, that there is a benefit in this. We'll be blessed. Now, how many people have heard that the blessed life is the best life, right? And that's what we want, all right? So that blessed, that blessed life is special favor, mercy, or benefit, a favor or gift bestowed by God, therefore bringing happiness. When we're walking by faith to fulfill God's will, I can tell you when I'm doing this, and, and some of you know my situation, I, I've walked by a lot of faith lately, but I can tell you that every time I, I am and when I know I'm really, really, really just ingrained in God's will, his favor shows up. And his favor is what keeps me going down that path. Because really what it is, you know, it's probably a, a bad analogy. Is you think about, you know, it was a little red riding hood who dropped the little pieces of bread as she went, right? I need those little nuggets to keep me going, Right? And that's what those little, those little hints of favor are, is just a little nugget. Yep, you're doing it. You're doing a good job. Oh, this shows up. Oh, my goodness. Holy cow. I must be going where God's got me. Look at this. 
does little things a favor. His favor is evident. The favor that helps me to stay on God's path and continue to walk. The fourth thing that we can learn from Thomas is it's good to have some good, solid Christian friends. Right? The disciples did not want Thomas to miss out. So when they saw Jesus, they went and found him. And they said, hey, get with us. How many of us have those people in our lives? When we're in the wrong place, somebody can come dig us out of our pit. Somebody can give us a word of encouragement. Somebody can help us when, when we can't help ourselves. Those good Christian friends hold us accountable and get us where we belong. And more importantly, they get us what we need. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. We've heard that many times. But Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, and it's going to be right up here on the screen, a one, the one standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And three is even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You know, again, unfortunately, this is, you know, my, my, my daughter says this to me all the time. Dad, you just talk about the breeze too much. But I, it's bringing me back to a military thing. I can tell you that if you're in combat or training for combat or wherever, and you're alone, you feel defeated. It's a very scary place to be and dangerous. And I doubt can creep in quicker than anything. Right? But when we look at it in the second light, two can stand back to back and conquer. You feel a whole lot more confident when you've got somebody who's on the point and somebody who's taking up your rear. Because you know that you can at least see a lot of it. And more importantly, you know that there's somebody alongside of you because we all need that. Now, we know as Christians that we're never alone, but how often do we feel alone? Right? There's, there, there's something about not having that physical body there. You know? So as two are there, we can encourage each other. We can go down the path that God's. But when we get three, we can cover our point, we can cover our rear, and we can cover our flanks. We can see everything there is. And really, that's what's going on here. We can encourage other and continue to go down the path that God has for us. A three-member team makes me feel safer because we can cover all of our areas. Now, when we look at the scripture in regards to Thomas, th things, we can get a different perspective. I want to go back to when Jesus first appeared to the disciples. Where was Thomas? As I said, we don't know. But what we do know is he wasn't with his pals. When we become isolated by standing alone, we can easily feel defeated. We can allow negative thoughts to fill our heads. I can just picture Thomas myself, by himself, thinking, man, I fouled this guy for three years, and now he's dead. What do I do now? If he was the Messiah, why is he not alive? He had a defeated spirit, possibly. This could have added to Thomas's unbelief and demands for proof. But when I picture the other nine disciples... I have a whole different picture. Think of them gathered in a room. Did you hear what Mary said? The tomb is empty. We were there ourselves. There's nothing there. Jesus appeared to Mary. Will he appear to us? Will we see him with our own eyes? No, Mary was in such distress, she doesn't know what's going on. She's hallucinating. This could be an, all the conversation that's going on here. Right? How much different are those two situations? When we're with a group of people, a bit of truth and proof makes it a lot easier to be excited, waiting with anticipation for what's going to happen. Being surrounded with Christians who make you better and hold you accountable is crucial. I want to give you a look at one person in the Bible who said, not my will, but your will be done, and walk this out by faith and not by sight. I want to look at Abraham. God told Abraham to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering. God told Abraham his will, what he needed to do the job, and where he needed to go to get it done. He had a clear picture, a much more clear picture than any of us. Right? Now just thinking of myself at this point, if I was Abraham, I could easily say, there's no way I'm hearing from God if he's asking me to do this. 
right? We can justify things too. This is way too out there to be God, right? But Abraham had such a relationship with God that he knew it was God's will and began to walk it out. Abraham does just as, as God directs. More importantly, I think about this. It said the journey to get from where they were to where they were going took three days. Could you imagine walking or going by donkey for three days and the whole time you're doing it, you're thinking about killing your son? We could easily talk ourselves out of it. Without a doubt. But Abraham didn't do this. For three days, the father was in debate. He probably justified, had anguish over the thought that he had to kill his son. And when they grew closer to the site, Isaac said, Dad, I see the fire and the wood, but I don't see the lamb. And then we pick it up in Genesis 22, 8 through 12, where it says, Abraham answered, God himself is providing the lamb for the sacrifice, my son. So both Abraham and his son went together to the place. And when they came to the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built the altar. He carefully laid the wood on the altar. Then he tied up his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached for his knife to kill his son, but the angel appeared to stop him. The angel called from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham answered, yes. And the angel said, don't kill your son or hurt him in any way. That's crazy. That's like out there. All right? But when we really look at this, after looking at the text, we see Abraham's obedience was like only that of God and the fact that he was willing to sacrifice his son because he got, loved God so much. But God was willing to sacrifice his son because he loves us so much. But deep down inside, Abraham believed, as we can see in verse 8, God will provide. God himself is providing the lamb. That is walking out the will of our God and having faith that God is going to work all things for good for those who love him and called, are called according to his purposes. You know, as, as Abraham walked, he's like, I will do this. And just as, you know, I, I think of Jesus in the garden, I think he is saying to himself, let this cup pass. Don't make, I will do this, but don't make me do this. And he always had faith that God was going to work it out for his way. And that's what he did. Because as you go on to say, you know, the angel tells him to stop, and then all of a sudden, there's a ram, a ram in the thicket, Right? And they're able to pull the ram out, and they're still be able to be obedient to what God's will was in, in providing the burnt offering. You know, so, so as I wrap up today, I want to review the big takeaways. Um, and like I said, today probably isn't any earth-shattering or mind-blowing things, but hopefully my prayer is, is that it gets us in a direction that we're walking out God's plan and not wondering why. You know, we look at one, it says, living out God's will— can be dangerous and scary. You know, we can change that to can, to it will be dangerous and scary. Right? And I think all of you agree. Two, there's no better place to be than in God's will. Three, we have to walk by faith and not by sight. We're not going to get the clear picture. And if we're waiting for it, we're, chances are we're going to be waiting a long time because we're exhibiting no faith. God wants us to trust. Faith is trusting God. And that's what we're called to do. And four, and most importantly, and I just want to always put this in the back of our head, God will provide. He's going to give us everything we need. If it be that revelation knowledge, if it be a supply, if it be a finance, whatever he's asked you to do, he's going to give you exactly what you need to do it. But it might not be what you feel you need to do it which is totally different, okay? So as we leave today, I know that I've shared some things that most of you have heard, but I believe that after some self-evaluation in all the areas of our life, if we're working out, we can figure out if where we are working in God's will and where we're not. 
So with every eye closed, I'd like to give everybody listening here today and those who are with us the opportunity to put their trust in God and make him Lord of their lives. Having a personal relationship with Christ and having the Holy Spirit within us as our guidance system will help us walk out God's will for our lives. So let us all pray this together. And you can repeat after me. Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I recognize I need your forgiveness. And I surrender my life to you today. I accept Jesus into my heart as Lord and Savior. Please show me your will and help me to become the person you want me to be. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. I love you. Amen. You know, I look at most of you in here and I know almost everybody and I, I have a great idea of where you all stand with Christ. But if there is somebody in here today, you know, where this message is you know, really prick your heart, or you realize that there's a place where you need to make a recommitment to follow God's plan and walk by, by faith and not by sight, you know, just drop a, drop a, a little note in the, uh, the comments portion of our, our website, and uh, let us know so that we can be praying for you. And again, if you also, if you have any prayer requests for you and your family, go to the website and use the prayer request form there, and uh, let us know so we can be praying, you know. I just thank you guys for, you know, being vigilant listeners and, uh, you know, hopefully walking away with a seed that will be sown that won't just be sown for today, but that, that it will change your life together. So if we all just stand up, we'll, we'll pray and we'll get out of here. Uh, dear Lord, I just thank you for everyone who's here, Lord. I thank you, Lord, it says that your word does not return void, Lord. So we thank you for the seeds that are sown. Lord, I ask that you give everybody here uh, just traveling mercies, Lord, and that you provide them with safety, Lord, and guidance, Lord. We ask that your Holy Spirit be within them, Lord, and that it be their guidance system in all things, Lord. So as they go for their week, Lord, we ask that they shine your light everywhere we go. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You are dismissed. Please follow the, the exits with your ushers. Have a blessed day.